All right. Well, as Elizabeth Taylor said to her last husband, I won't keep you long. But I just, <laughs> come on, people. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about holiness. Someone shout it out. One, two, three. Come on. One, two, three. Now, let me ask you a quick question. How many of you grew up in a Pentecostal church? Raise your hand nice and high. Okay, okay. How many of you didn't? That's fine, too. Raise your hand. Okay, most of you did. Some of you didn't. Uh, for those of you that grew up in a Pentecostal church, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about tonight. For those of you that didn't, uh, we're going to give you a little tutorial, okay? Uh, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. You're like, oh, yeah, me too. No, I mean, I grew up in a snot-blowing, hanky-throwing, pulpit-pounding, people shaking, trembling, rolling around, screaming type of church. How many know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Now, in our church growing up there, we had something called a runaway service. I mean, you know what that is, right? <laughs> runaway service is when the power of God starts moving so mightily that the preacher doesn't even get to preach. You ever been to one of those services? Pastor, I've been there with my wife, and somebody starts running. The next person, somebody starts shouting, and they run around, and I look over at my wife and say, I ain't never getting up there. You know, it's just one of those services where God just kind of takes over. It's a runaway service. Well, in my church growing up, there were little indicators that you were going to have a runaway service, there were little telltale signs it was going to go down. We had a lady in our church. Her name was Eleanor. She was kind of beefy. She was kind of big. Bo- okay, this one was big. Okay, the back of her neck looked like a pack of hot dogs. You know what I'm saying? It's like she literally, she put on a, rare, a pair of guest jeans, looked like the answer popped out. You know, right? She put on a red dress, looked like Kool-Aid came to church. Oh, yeah. Okay, that was her. And so every once in a while when the power of God would start moving, Eleanor would get the jerk. She was just like that. Uh, it always started out as a tremor, right? Power of God would be moving, people would be singing, she'd be like, <clears throat> like that. Then it would go into a and then full-blown, just like that. We had another lady, her name was uh, Debbie, and her hand would flutter, and pastor, she would go, don't make me laugh, she'd go, she would go, just like that. It's like someone was strangling with a chihuahua right in the back, just like that. I had a friend growing up, and he was Catholic. Yeah, you already know where this is going. Uh, and I was always wanting to invite him to our church, but I was always afraid we'd have a runaway service, and it would turn him off to Jesus for the rest of his natural-born life. But I'd always ask him, AJ, you need to come to our church. He's like, I'm not coming to your church, man. Y'all are them tongue talkers. Y'all are them Pentecostals. I was like, you know what? We get a little excited about Jesus, but you really need to come. We're harmless. And so he finally decided to come, and I was like, yay! But then I thought, oh, we could have a runaway service. Then I thought, wait a second, my dad's the pastor. I got control over this. I'll just go talk to my dad, tell him that next Sunday to calm it down. So I went to my dad. I said, hey, dad. He said, hey, son. I said, hey, you remember my Catholic buddy, AJ? He said, yep. I said, dad, he's finally coming to church this Sunday. My dad's like, well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I said, see that right there. That's talk about that right there. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, that praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I said, you can't do that, dad. I said, he's Catholic, man. I said, he don't roll the way we Pentecostals roll. He said, what do you mean? I said, Dad, for him, churches, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up. He goes to a room, slides over a window, kisses a bead, does a quick one of these, takes a shot, calls it a day. So I said, Dad, can we just have a normal one this Sunday? I said, let's just have a normal vanilla service. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. Tell everybody, uh, you know, to hold up their Bible. Tell everybody you like to start out with something funny, blink a lot, tell everybody they're a winner. I said, you know, let's just keep it really kind of generic. My dad's like, yeah, no problem. My dad didn't hear a word I said. So uh, Sunday rolls around, and my friend AJ comes to church. He's already on guard. He's already coming in on guard because he's never been to a Pentecostal church. So we go in, and the first song starts. We all know the first song don't count. No one's even in there yet, right? <laughs> like Everybody's still dropping off their kid, getting a coffee. And the first song in every church, I'll just be like, hey, everybody, we started, come on in, because no one cares. Okay, so the first song starts, and uh, he's already kind of on alert. 
you guys, one, per, one person kind of just gently lifted their hand like this. He goes, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? And I thought, man, if that freaked him out, we're in some big trouble. Big trouble. Kind of, you know, there's also certain songs that you can sing, you know, that lend themselves to a runaway service. How many know there's little tunes you can crank out? If you're not careful, it's going to get lit, okay? Like, how many know if you start singing something like in the garden, and he walks with me and he talks with me? It's not happening. How many know if you start singing something like great is thy faithfulness or amazing grace or deeper and deeper, bringing in the sheaves? You know, it's probably not going to go down. But I can tell you right now, you start singing songs like I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me, it might get nuts. Our worship leader wasn't tiny either, okay? His blood type was Nutella, okay? This guy was, I mean, woo, his bathtub had stretch marks, okay? This guy was big. And uh, you could always tell how long you were going to be at church by how much he sweat. If he sweat through his tie, straight up noon. If he sweat through his jacket, about 115. If he sweat through his drawers, you're going to be there all day long. <laughs> so he's worshiping. The place is kind of normal, somewhat. All of a sudden, right in the middle of one of his songs, our worship leader stops, pulls out a handkerchief, and starts waving it around. I knew we were in trouble right there. He said, you know what? He said, you know what? He said, the enemy's been to some of y'all's camps. I was like, oh, God, no, he hadn't been to my camp. He hasn't been. He's like, the enemy's been to some of y'all's camps. He said, I think it's about time we go back to the enemy's camp. We take back what he has So he just busts out. I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back. Yeah, I took back. Oh, and the whole crowd's like, bam, bam, bam. And out of my peripheral, I see, <laughs> see Eleanor getting the jerks. I'm trying to block my Catholic buddy from seeing Eleanor get the jerks. Eleanor gets right in front of my Catholic buddy and just busts out. I looked at him, I said, she's an epileptic, she's having a seizure. You think I'm playing. <laughs> I told my friend she was an epileptic, and she didn't take her pills, and therefore she was having a seizure. And he bought it. <laughs> About the time I put out that fire, I heard, woo, 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 woo. I was like, it's over. <laughs> Look at somebody say, that ain't holiness. You ever notice there's a lingo that we use in church? Oh, it's annoying. I call it Christianese. You know, it's that, it's that churchy lingo that we use and we use it with our brothers and sisters in Christ and that's all cool and everything but how many of you know if you go out into the world and you use that lingo with unsaved people they don't understand what the heck you're talking about you know what I'm saying like we say I'm sanctified we say that I'm sanctified you know what good for you okay but you can't go to the dry cleaner and say I'm sanctified okay they don't get it we say this one uh, I'm on fire for God right Bill man he's on fire for God Man, Michelle, Sheila, boy, those ladies are on fire for God. And that's all fine and good, but you don't go to Walmart and check out and say, how you doing? I'm on fire. What? I'm on fire for God. Come to Christ's point. We're all on fire. Here's my favorite. Hey, come to our church where you could be washed in the blood. You're going to flip somebody out. We all know the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed over 2,000 years ago is still available today. But that's churchy lingo, and we begin to believe that the more spiritual things that we throw in our sentences, the more holy it makes us appear. Can I give you all a newsflash? If you have to tell somebody how spiritual you are, chances are you're not. Come on, somebody. <laughs> There's a lie told by the enemy to every self-respecting person in this room. It's real subtle, and it's real deceptive. 
And it replays itself in countless areas of your life. The devil has been telling this lie back in the very beginning. He started telling this lie back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and he's still doing it today. And this is a lie that the enemy will whisper in your ear. He'll say, give it my way, and it'll be more fun. That's what the enemy says. You say, what do you mean? I mean, Brother Michael, our culture's not that bad. Friends, you better wake up and smell the coffee. America's not getting any better. It's getting worse. Look at the moral decay of our culture. Look at the Internet. Look at social media. Look at commercials. Look at every law that's being passed. And I'm not just talking about abortion, and I'm not just talking about uh, politics and, and scandal. I'm talking about our world is racked with all, and our culture says, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. If it feels good, do it. Live life the way you want to live it. Forget biblical standards and forget the Word of God, and it's going to be more fun. Well, how many know tonight with a huge amen, that couldn't be any further from the truth? Because the God that we serve, he made your life. And the principles and the guidelines that God gives us in his word are the way for our lives to be the happiest. Now, I know none of us are perfect. None of us, uh, you know, are going to, you know, we have bad days. We slip up, we trip up. No one's going to, you know, run out of here tonight and jump out of a phone booth with a cape on. But how many of you believe, sure enough, if you live your life within the biblical standards of the word of God, how many believe that's the most fulfilling way to live? Shout amen. So the truth is, and if you violate holiness you violate happiness. If you violate holiness, you're going to violate happiness. Now again, when I say the word holiness, I know some of you have some freaked out images that come up in your head. Because when I was growing up and I thought of the word holiness, I thought of my grandma. Okay? Now, my grandma grew up Church of God. How many know Church of God? Raise your hand nice and half. You know Church of, Church of God, Cleveland. You know what I'm saying. Church of God. My mom and dad in the early years grew up Church of God. Can I tell you folks, back in the day, Church of God did not play around. I'm telling you, if it was fun, it was wrong. <laughs> I'm serious. If it had a little bit of a flash to it, a little bit of a pizzazz to it, a little bit of a sparkle to it, that was just unspiritual. Matter of fact, back in the day, a lot of churches, uh, had a, a Church of God's had a big banner on the back wall that just said No. <laughs> Hey, can I watch? No. Can I listen to? No. Can I wear? No. Everything was unspiritual. I want all the ladies to say praise the Lord on the count of three. Ladies, one, two, three. The reason I had you women say praise the Lord is because you've all been delivered. <laughs> you don't know. You old school know, but you young bucks don't know. Back in the day, women, like, come on now, you didn't cut your hair. You didn't pierce your ears. You didn't wear makeup. Some of you ladies got to wear them wonderful things called culottes. <laughs> Are gauchos. That's if a big wind came along, pick you up, take you off somewhere you didn't want to go. This is a true story. I wish I could make this up, but I can't. My mom was a full-blown adult before she got her ears pierced. I'm telling you, folks. Now, again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but thank God you ladies have been delivered from all that legalism and all that religion. I'm just saying, back in the day, you didn't do that. My mom was full-grown. We know what's different today. Babies come out the womb, 14 gauges. I'm just saying. <laughs> Nose rings. <laughs> I'm saying back then, you didn't do that. So, we're walking through the mall one day. It's my mom and my dad, me and my sister. My mom was feeling a little spicy, right? My mom was feeling a little spicy. I have no idea why I did this, but <laughs> she's feeling a little spicy. We walked past that Claire's store, right? Said free ear piercing. My mom's like, you know what? I'm going to get my ears pierced today. I'm a grown woman, do what I want to do. Grown woman, do what I want to do. Get my ears pierced today. So she went and got her ears pierced. What my mom didn't know is we were going to see her mother the next week. Now my grandma, who I call Sister Jesus, 
because the woman wouldn't go to a movie theater. She wouldn't go into a bowling alley. I'm like, Grandma, let's go bowling. I'm not going bowling. They're smoking and drinking in there. That's a vile den of iniquity. That was my grandma. She didn't play around. But my mom just got her ears pierced. She didn't know. Uh, you ladies will have to help me out. But I guess when you get your ears pierced, you can't take out the stud, right? Can't take it out. The hole will close up. My mom didn't know that. So my mom, my mom, my mom put clear fishing line in the holes of her ears in the delusion that we would visit my grandmother and my grandmother wouldn't see that she'd got her ears pierced. But then she's got to come talk to me and say, tell me not to say nothing. I'm a little kid. We all know little kids are demons. They're going to tell it. So my mom calls me in and says, uh, son, I need to talk to you for a second. I was like, yeah, mom. She's like, uh, okay, don't you tell your grandma. I'm like, <laughs> she's like, I'm serious, Michael. You don't tell your grandma that I pierce my ears. She'll think I'm a harlot. She'll think I'm a Delilah. She'll think I'm a prostitute. She'll think, she'll think I'm a streetwalker. You don't tell my mother that I pierce my ears. I'm like, mom, I, never, I, would, never, I would never in a million years ever say anything. <laughs> we drove 16 hours to Georgia. I don't even think my dad had turned off the car. And I ran in and I said, hey, Grandma, Mom poked holes in her ears. My grandma was chasing my mom around with a rolling pin. <laughs> Look at someone say, that ain't holiness. I just took 10 minutes telling you everything that holiness is. And let me tell you what holiness is. Holiness is living out the standard of God in your life on a daily basis. Amen? Say it with me. Ready? Living out the standard of God in your life on a daily basis. You see, holiness is being a reflection of the image of Christ. Holiness is being set apart for special use. Holiness is saying, I want my actions, that's everything I do. I want my words, that's everything I say. I want my thoughts, that's everything I think, to be like Jesus. We're going to have bad days. We're going to slip up and trip up. But if you're going to live a life of holiness, what you're really saying is, I want to live my life by a standard that a whole lot of people aren't willing to live by. If you're really going to live a life of holiness, what you're saying is, I want to live my life by a standard that a whole lot of people in Missouri and the surrounding areas in Kansas and all around are not willing to commit to in 2019. So if you violate holiness, you violate happiness. I want to share one scripture with you tonight. If you have your, your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Don't put it up, fellas, because I don't know what version I have. If I have the same version, you can put it up. But Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, oh, wow, I see some old school Bibles flipping pages. That's awesome. I see some new school Bibles that glow. That's cool, too. <laughs> amen. I will say, get you an old school Bible. Can I get an amen? Hard to fight a demon on 5%, so you want to make sure. I had a guy come to my church. He's like, Pastor, I was doing my devotions, but I had to stop because my Bible went dead. There's a problem with that, right? So whether it's old school and it flips, or it's new school and it charges, Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 says this, if you do not do what is right, it says sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Wow, that's a powerful scripture. Can I say it again? If you don't do what's right, and how many know none of us do what's right all the time? I'm going to turn around and talk to myself. I said none of us do what's right all the time. It says sin is crouching at your door. It doesn't say sin sitting at your door. It doesn't say sin's leaning up against the door jam. It doesn't say sin sleeping there. It says sin is crouching. 
Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. There's nothing casual about that scripture. Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you are channel surfers? Raise your hand nice enough. You channel surf. Wow, and the rest of you are lying. Father, for the liars, bring them forward in repentance in Jesus' name. Let me say it again. How many of you, when you're watching TV and the remote control is in your hand, you flip around? Raise your hand nice and high. Some of you are still on. I'm going to say it again because maybe you didn't hear what I said. How many of you, when in front of the TV, the remote control is in your hand, you're watching something, but a commercial comes on. Sometimes you'll flip around. Raise your hand nice and high. That's what I thought. Some of you are still lying. I'm going to let all the women off in here tonight because I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. So I'm going to let all the women off. But the men, no, no, no. Because if you're in here tonight and you're a dude, you channel surf. There's a chemical that goes off in a dude's head and we get a remote control. We're like, <laughs> we just have to do it. Give a dude a remote control. What's this? <laughs> we just have to do it. And, of course, my wife says what every woman in here says to her man. Can we watch one program, please? Can we watch one program from the beginning to the end, please? Ladies, No! That's what the clicker's for. Men, these ladies need to back off. Men, can I get an amen? You're too scared to say amen, but that's okay. <laughs> Come on, ladies. You got to know what you're doing. You got it. There's a lot of buttons on here. You got channel up, channel down. You got volume up, volume down. You display, menu, flashback, alternate channel, previous channel. There's a lot of buttons. And my wife's always like, can I, can I have the remote control tonight? <laughs> you had it last night. Can I have it tonight? She can't handle that kind of power. It takes training. It takes discipline. <laughs> I'm a channel surfing fool, man. I, I, I dare, I watch 27 things. I dare a commercial come on. I just sit there, what? what? <laughs> It'll be midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. My wife's already over there, Pastor. She's all twitching, drooling, you know, and I'm sitting there, my eyes are all bloodshot. <laughs> I know I need to turn it off, but I can't. I might miss it. You're like, I'm not a channel surfer. Yes, you are. Like, no, seriously, I don't click with a click. Yes, you do. Okay, you don't think you're a channel surfing freak? Let's take a quiz. <laughs> you know you're a channel surfing freak when it's midnight. You've already been around the horn 29 times. Right before you turn it off, some kind of wells up inside you says, if I go around one more time, there'll be something on I need to see. <laughs> you're a channel surfing freak. You're a channel surfing freak when someone else is doing the clicking and you can't stand it. Hmm, a vein. I'll be like, they're like, boing, boing. You're like, wait, what was that? And they're like, what? What? No, just go back. Oh, you know, you just missed it. Go back three. Ah! Man, I'll channel start one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. National Geographic, Beanie Baby Shopping Club, Absizer, Bun Cruncher, I don't know, Discovery Channel, Mating Rituals of the Squid. Sure, I'll watch that. Who cares? You know there's nothing on in the middle of the night but infomercials anyway. But how many of you know at three o'clock in the morning, that stuff starts looking pretty good? You're like a knife that cuts through a shoe. I need to call right now and get one of those so I can cut my shoes up. If I order now, I get four of them. And free shipping. And the potato curly deal. <laughs> Has anybody seen that Tony Little, the guy with the ponytail and the ball cap? Hey, everybody, get the gazelle, 49. Who is that freak? Have you seen that freak? He's all juiced up, all roided up. Don't he have a neck? It's just like a head on shoulders. And he's always got the ball cap and the ponytail. Everybody get the gazelle, forty-nine ninety-five. Then you got a dude with a belly out to here, and he's got a Twinkie all smushed up on his face. And he's got Doritos in his navel. And he's like, I'm going to give you one of them gazelles and get in shape. No, you're not. Quit lying to yourself. Because I want to tell you something. You don't attach something to a door, and that right there change your life forever. Okay, it's not going to happen. Now they got that ball, you just kind of roll around on it. 
roll around on the ball. You know my favorite is? That little Have you seen that? See, it's a Velcro belt. Shocks your belly. Listen, if you bought one of these, don't tell me because I'll punch you in the face. (laughs) Hey, listen, eat all the ding-dongs you want to. Go get you 12 gallons of pudding and, I don't know, just eat 22 Snickers. Eat some Skittles, chase it down with a Twix. Put a Hershey's IV just straight into your veins. Just, who cares? It works on a 9-volt battery. But they say it's like doing 1,500 sit-ups. But it works on a 9-volt battery. Let's do some math. Do you think there are 1,500 sit-ups inside a 9-volt battery? Do you want to know how you do a sit-up? You sit-up! But out of all the shows on television, I ain't even going to lie to y'all, National Geographic or the Discovery Channel, when they do that Predator show. Come on, somebody. Have you seen that? That's when the cheetah is chasing the gazelle out there in slow motion. (laughs) Man, is that cool or what? Now, my wife's a big animal lover, big animal activist. Uh, If she walks in and I'm watching that program where that cheetah is tearing up that deer, (laughs) she'll come in and go, No! No, not the little Bambi. I'm like, that's right, it's food cane. <laughs> I got to watch. Now, um, I'm serious. My wife is a big animal activist. I'm not playing around. Folks, she loves, she loves animals more than people. Pastor, I'm not even kidding you. She loves, loves. I, only God, I tell her all the time, could put a love like that. Like, uh, uh, all of our dogs are rescues. Uh, you don't know her testimony, but as I mentioned this morning, she was Mrs. Ohio, went to Mrs. America. Well, in the pageant industry, you know, you have to have a platform. Uh, you have to have a cause. You have to have something you believe in. And so hers was the Humane Society, Animal Rescue. Um, this woman has held gala fundraising events so to raise $25,000, you know, so like a poodle could get a new eyeball. You know? It's crazy. I'm you think I'm playing. If she were here tonight and we all left and we were walking across the street and someone ran a red light and hit you and a squirrel, she'd go to the squirrel first. You'd be bleeding out of the side of your head. She'd be like, I called an ambulance. Come on, little buddy. <sighs> it's true. We were dating, uh, and on our first date, it's a true story, on our first date, we go out to eat, right? So we're sitting there at dinner, just talking, small talk. All of a sudden, I look down around her neck. She had a little chain on with a little pendant. The little pendant was a little rhinestone doggy bone, right? This is a little doggy bone with little pretty rhinestones in it. I looked at her, and I was just making conversation. I was like, oh, that's cute. She's oh, that's Callie, my dog. I was like, oh, wow, that's Callie, your dog. like a symbol? She's like, no, it's like Callie, my dog. I was like, you mean like a little memorial thing? She's like, no, like her ashes are in there. The dog's ashes were in the pendant. Are we streaming this tonight? She's crazy, people, okay? She's lost her mind. This woman's psycho. I should have saw the crazy right there. But I married her anyway. When I married her, she had three dogs. Guess what? Now I got three dogs. You know how that goes. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. You can't be like, hey, I love you. I want to marry you. I love all this over here. I don't want that over there. Right? You got to take it all. She had three dogs. Now I got three dogs. 
We've been married, y'all. This is a true story. I cannot make this up. This, this happens real. We've been married three months. We're still fluttering around like on a cloud of honeymoon love, right? One of the dogs got sick. It was weird. Went outside. His eyes turned yellow. Started eating rocks. It was weird. I came in. I said, uh, yo. I said, the dog is sick. She goes, oh, my goodness. We need to go to the doggy hospital. Okay, I didn't even know there was a doggy hospital. I knew there were veterinary clinics. I knew there was like a me- emergency veterinary care. No, y'all, in Dallas, there's a hospital for dogs. We walk in and dogs are on crutches, walking by like this. They're on wheelchairs, spinning by like this. I'm walking past rooms. They're laying in beds with like IVs and stuff hooked up to them. I'm like, what is going on here? The doctor comes in. He goes, your dog has liver failure. I was like, well, there's that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he goes, your dog has liver failure. He said, we're going to have to do some blood transfusions. We're going to have to put the dog overnight in a private room. We're going to feed it, uh, uh, you know, fluids and so forth. It's going to be $8,900. And I looked at him and I said, uh, is that pesos or is that like normal money? $8,900. He, he said, yeah. I said, uh, I can go to Walmart and get a $4 bullet take care of this right now. <laughs> oh, really? Come on, people. Come on, who grew up old school? Someone, come on, who grew up old school? You know what I'm talking about. You know what old school was? If the dog got sick, dad took that thing out back and bang, and that was it. He might have even went thug and turned that thing sideways. Like that. And then smacked it with a shovel. (laughs) And you know what? And he buried it, and we were devastated, right? We were devastated. Ah, ah. And then he brought home a new puppy, and we were like, ah, puppy, yay, yay, yay. That thing wasn't even cold yet. What was his name? Can't remember. Puppy. That's true. Do we have any hunters in the audience? Hunters? Raise your hand. Hunters? Okay. Now, let me tell you why I hate hunting. Hate hunting. Hate it. (laughs) I hate hunting. And it's not because I wouldn't shoot a deer. I'd shoot a deer in the face. (laughs) I'd shoot a deer in the face. You're like, don't shoot it in the face. You couldn't mount it. Absolutely I would. I'd mount it with half a face. It'd be awesome. That way when I had parties, I could go check it out. I got it right in the face. I think we've established I would shoot a whole family of deer and have deer jerky for two years. Bang. I hate hunting, not because I wouldn't shoot a deer. I hate hunting because, Pastor Josh, I have been hunting 12 times in my lifetime. 12 times. And I have never seen a deer. I don't even think they exist. I think it's a conspiracy. I, I, some of you are like, no, we were driving to church. We saw four on the side of the road. You thought you saw four on the side of the road. It's probably one of those little styrofoam things you get at Cabela's, right? I'm serious, and people promise me deer. Every time I'm promised deer, and we get out there, and we don't see any deer, all I do is freeze my buns off and shoot cans off a log at the end of the day. So I'm on television. I'm on TBN doing this Praise the Lord. There's a program on there called Praise the Lord. I was doing this program, and I was joking around, just like I am now, so please don't send me any email. (laughs) And I said, yeah, deer hunting, yeah, it's fake, blah, 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 yeah, it's a conspiracy, I don't even think they're real, blah, blah, blah. Okay, guys, a pastor from northwest Arkansas called our office two weeks later. Dude had a chip. He's like, I want to talk Pastor Michael Rowan. Like, you could tell he had a chip on the phone. He's like, I want to talk Pastor Michael Rowan. So I got on the phone, I was like, hello? He's like, is this Pastor Rowan? I said, yes, it is. He goes, this is Pastor so-and-so, and I'm from such-and-such in northwest Arkansas, and we want you to come to our church and do a revival. I was like, oh, okay, well, that sounds great, Pastor. He goes, and you need to come in a couple of days early. I was like, okay. So I flew in northwest, evidently in northwest Arkansas. There's good white-tailed deer hunting. There's good turkey hunting. 
I flew into Fayetteville right in the middle of December, right in the middle of deer season. I didn't know that because I've never seen a deer. So I land, pastor's out to meet me at the curb. I walk out, dude's all bowed up. You can tell he still had a chip. He's all, how you doing, Brother Michael? Just like that, how you doing, Brother Rowan? I said, doing really good. He goes, we're glad you're here. I said, well, I'm glad I'm here too, Pastor. He goes, we're glad you're here a couple of days early. I said, you know, I'm glad you said that because I've been wondering why I'm here a couple of days early. He goes, well, that's because we're taking you deer hunting, okay? He saw the show. He got totally offended, and now he's going off. Uh, I'm like, well, he goes, we're going to take you deer hunting. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, we're going to see herds and herds of deers. We're going to see hundreds of deer. We're going to see so many deer, your head's going to swim. I said, really? How do you know we're going to see deer? He goes, because we got deer feeders out there. He goes, and we got deer corn out there. He goes, and there's rubbins. I was like, what? He goes, there's rubbins. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, they rub the, I was like, rubbings? I don't speak hillbilly. You're going to have to talk English because I don't speak hillbilly. Just joking. So evidently these deer, they, they rub their horns like this. They rub their horns like this. <laughs> so hunters will tell you if you go out into the woods and the tree is smooth and there's no bark, that's a tip-off that there's deer. So he's like, we got deer feeders out there. We got deer corn out there. There's rubbins out there. We're going to see a herd of deer. So we get up the next, <laughs> not even going to call it morning because it was stupid. It's 3 o'clock. That's not morning. I had to wake up the Lord. Jesus, let's go. We're going hunting. <laughs> we get out at 3 o'clock. If you have to get up before 5, it's just dumb. You should just tell somebody, don't call it morning. Just say, what time do you have to get up for work? 4.45, stupid. It was really early. <laughs> so we get out there that morning. It's 22 degrees. It's freezing. Y'all, they hooked me up. It looked like a Duck Dynasty starter kit. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like, I mean, I had camo shoes, camo pants. I had a camo jacket. Y'all, they gave me, they did not lend me, the church gave me as a gift a Remington Woodsmaster 30-06, had hollow point shells, $1,000 scope on it, this beautiful gun, right? So we get up there now. Now it's about 5.55, stupid. Uh, the sun was just coming up. It wasn't up yet because it's not morning. <laughs> and uh, we're freezing, right? Get out in the woods, and there I am. I got the camo shoes, I got the camo pants, I got the camo jacket, I got mud on my face, the branches sticking out of my head. And the pastor comes over with this little yellow bottle of liquid. <laughs> and I said, uh, what's that? He said, it's your deer urine. I said, what do you do with that? He said, well, you spray it on you. And I went, I'm not putting deer pee on me. <laughs> he goes, well, they'll catch your scent. I said, well, it's Versace and that's what they're going to smell because I'm not putting deer pee on me. <laughs> See, because his philosophy was that a deer, like two mile away, was going to catch a downwind and smell me. Yet National Geographic can go out in the middle of the African desert where there's nothing but rhinoceroses and dirt, and they're pulling out cables and microphones and cameras, and there's a whole television crew. Don't you think that tips the deer off a little bit? I'm in northwest Arkansas at 615 Stupid in a tree stand covered in deer pee-pee, and they take a whole crew to Africa. Have y'all seen the gazelles with the curly little horns? Man, they're fast little boogers. I mean, surely the head gazelle calls them all together for a meeting, right? I mean, surely the president of the deer go, okay, guys, you saw National Geographic. They're filming that show again, so obviously some of us are going to get it today. So let's stay in the oval formation that we talked about, okay? All you gazelles, bring it in. Pack it in nice and tight, and we'll stay in a big clump. There's strength in numbers. If we all stay together in one big clump, we'll all be fine. But no, there's always that one stupid one. Got to go walking out by himself. 
<laughs> that is when it is on like Donkey Kong. Does that cheetah get on a megaphone and announce his arrival? <laughs> I'm going to eat you. No! What does that cheetah do? It gets down in a crouching position. You've seen. Gets down in a crouching position, and its fur furrows up on the back of his neck, and all its muscles ripple out, and it waits till that one gazelle gets all away from the pack, gets all alone by himself, all vulnerable, and it waits till the right moment, and you've seen it'll crouch down, and all of a sudden, boom, it pounces, and you've seen it, they always show it in slow motion, they get up to 60, 72 mile an hour, and all of a sudden, that minute, that gazelle will zig when it should have zagged, and that thing will hit that back hoof, and the deer rolls over in a cloud of dirt, and the cheetah latches onto its throat, and it shakes it a little bit, and that thing is fighting, it shakes a little bit more, and it waits till there's not one ounce of fight left in that thing and there come all those little baby cheetahs and they're all pouncing on it and pulling it apart and tearing it apart and wishboning on it and there's blood everywhere and you say man that's nasty but when I read Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7 that's what I see that sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you but you must master it and the reason you can't be casual about holiness is because sin is not casual about getting you it desires to have... Y'all think this is a joke? Y'all think this is a game? Do you understand if the devil could come in here to drag your soul to hell tonight, he'd do it. There wouldn't be any bargaining. There wouldn't be any grace. There wouldn't be any second chances. The enemy wouldn't come in here tonight and go, well, you hadn't been coming to Christ point, you know, as faithfully as you should. And you know, your Bible been, your Bible reading's been a little sketchy. And, you know, your prayer life's been a little bit, you know, spotty. And we'll catch you some... No. If the devil could come in here and drag your soul to hell tonight... He'd do it in a second. Why? Because he hates you. He hates your family. He hates your marriage. And he hates your children. He hates everything that is near and dear to you. Says sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must what? Master. Come on, you must what? Master it. That means you take authority over everything in your life that's had authority over you. Everything that stripped you up, tripped you up, messed you up, you got to take authority over it. I had a guy... Stand in my office one day in Pensacola, and Pastor, he was one of them, I call them noodle spine Christians. He was one of those, you know, he'd come to church and then he'd be out. And then he'd go get kissy face with the world. Then he'd come back to church for a little bit, then he'd go get kissy face with the world. Then he'd come back to church for maybe two or three months, and he'd really try to go after it, and then he would just go get, he, you know, he could never go full on. He could never really make a 100% commitment. He would always go back to the world. The Bible says a dog returns to his own vomit, a fool returns to his own sin. And he, would, he never could really 100% passionately give it all to God. And he sat in my office and he looked at me and he said, well, pastor, how do I do the right thing when I just don't feel like doing it? I mean, this quest for holiness that you're always talking about, you know, I mean, how do I really live a life of holiness, you know, when I just don't feel like it all the time? And I was like, with all the love I had in my heart, I looked at him and I said, well, man, you do it! You see, wimps don't like hearing answers like that. But the enemy's not wimpy about coming after you, so my aggression for God cannot be wimpy. Come on, somebody, with all the energy that the enemy's coming after you, you got to quadruple that in your passion in which you go after God. Holiness is not for wimps. Holiness is not for people who have no back. But let me tell you something. If you just come to church once a week here to Christ Point, and you're just playing some little game of patty cake in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you come in and you shake a couple of hands, you say a few amens, and then you walk out of here and your lifestyle doesn't change, you're out of it. You're not even on the same planet. You're not even in the same zip code as I am right now. Holiness is about making a difference wherever you are. And the only reason that Michael Christopher Rowan is not a more godly man than I am today, 
is some days when I wake up, I don't put on my game face. You know what a game face is? It's something the New England Patriots kind of have on lockdown. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'd like to take Tom Brady and just punch him right in the face. <laughs> I don't know if you're a Brady fan, but I'm not a Brady fan. Man, they almost pulled it off today. Buffalo, they were that close. That close. And blew it. Blew it. And everybody says, I remember when Brady won a ring, and they said, he's the GOAT. And I was like, don't get it carried away. He's won a ring. Then he won two rings. Everybody's like, he's the GOAT. I was like, don't be silly. Then he won three rings. Then he won four rings. Everybody's like, he's the GOAT. And I'm like, well, you know, then he won five rings. Then he won six rings. And now he's 40 whatever years old, which in like normal human doggy years is 407. 41, 43 years old in the NFL and still going, broken every record there is. Hall of Famer, six rings, billionaire, pretty good looking, supermodel wife. I think he's doing okay. <laughs> but the point is, whether you're a fan or not, he gets it done. You know what a game face is? A game face is saying, I'm not here on some picnic in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean serious business. And the only reason that Michael Christopher Rowan is not a more godly man than I am today is I don't, every day I don't put on my game face. Is that your fault? No. Is that Jesus' fault? No. It's my fault. And that's why he said in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, he said, you'll find me when you seek me with your what? Whole heart. Diligently. And I'd be doing a disservice to my ministry I'd be doing a disservice to this wonderful congregation of believers. This place looks so full even on a Sunday night. That's awesome. I'd be doing a disservice to the Father, to your pastor. I'd definitely be doing a disservice to you tonight if I didn't ask you one probing, penetrating question before we're done, and that is this. How is it between you and God? I didn't ask you how much you give. I didn't ask you how much you read your Bible or how much you pray. I'm not even asking your church attendance. I'm not talking about the, those are surface things. I'm talking about what is the spiritual temperature of your relationship with you and Jesus. People think that they know Michael Rowan. <laughs> it's funny. They know the YouTube Michael Rowan. They know the Michael Rowan on the discs and on Daystar people come up to me, man, I saw you with T.D. Jakes. What was that like? Oh my goodness, pastor, you were at the Brownsville Revival? What was that like with millions of people? I saw you with John Hay. I saw you with Jensen Franklin. I saw you with Perry Stone. I saw, wow, what was, pastor, I, I, I googled you, man. I saw you on YouTube. I saw you sing the National Anthem in Madison Square Garden. And I did. I sang the National Anthem in the most famous arena in the world. And people ask me all the time, what was that like? What was that like? They don't even know me. They know nothing about me. They don't know that I was sexually promiscuous when I was 11. 11 years old. I have a daughter that is 17. She lives with her mom in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. And when I say Mitchell, Nebraska, it would make this city look like Philadelphia. There's about 2,000 people in the entire town. Last year when she was 16, 
a boy on the football team liked her, wanted to walk her home from school. She called me on the phone. She said, Daddy, guess what? I said, what is it? She goes, there's a boy on the football team. His name is Zach, and he likes me. I said, that's awesome, sweetheart. Is he a Christian? She goes, he sure is, Dad. He leads a Bible study at the school. His mom and dad are leaders in their church, and he, he loves the Lord, and he's going to walk me home from school. I said, that's awesome. She goes, and Daddy, guess what? I said, what? She goes, he might hold my hand. And I remember thanking God that I had a daughter in this day and age that was actually excited about the possibility of a boy holding her. I was five years younger than she was at that time, already having sex. And she was getting butterflies over the possibility of someone holding her hand. I drugs, alcohol, pornography. I could not go 48 hours without pleasing myself to pornography. And I know some of you are going, man, I can't believe you just said that. I'm so sick of us being able to talk about it everywhere else and we can't talk about it in church. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that that sin had me in its grasp. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that I was doing that. You want to know? Because Jesus set me free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I don't have to be embarrassed about anything. It's not what you know, it's what I know that matters. And God said, Michael, I want to set you free. I went to Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. I shouldn't have even been there. I wasn't even saved. I don't know. I guess I thought it was like rehab or something. Academic probation, disciplinary probation, chapel probation. They kicked me out. I went home and I started a fast-paced, fast-lane life of sin and debauchery. And I know some of you right now are saying, Brother Michael, you don't have to tell us this because, you know, like everybody here is a Christian. Oh, really? Really? Don't be ill and naive. No, seriously, Michael. I mean, it's Sunday morning. You know, those are the tire kickers. Those are, you know, those are the, you know, just going through the routine. It's Sunday morning. But, man, this is Sunday night. I mean, nobody comes to church on Sunday night unless they're, like, totally sold out for the Lord. Really? Everyone in this room, everyone in this room right now, we're all just saved. All of us, a hundred percent of us, we're all just fasting and praying and in the word and passionate and going after it. Don't be ill and naive. I know exactly who's in this room right now. Because the story that I'm telling you right now, I was in church. Please don't think that this was a season in my life. I like the word season. Please don't think that it was a time in my life where I was just kind of giving God the finger and doing whatever I wanted to do. I was in church every Sunday leading worship for my dad. Can I tell you something? I could quote you the scriptures. I could talk the talk. But I did not know him in a personal way. And me and a group of young men and women in our church, we... uh, we had everybody fooled. It was like Halloween, 365 days a year, because we'd put, come to church and we'd put on the mask, and we'd fool everybody, and then I was living a life of horrific sin and rebellion. I'm telling you, we come to church, and everybody thought we were these upstanding young men and women of God in the house of God, and leaders in our church, and you know what? Then we would go out every night. I knew every bar, I knew every club, I knew every bartender, I knew every door guy, I knew where to get the pills, I knew where to get the powder, I knew where to get the liquor, I knew where to get it all. And you know what we do? 
We'd bust into people's cars and bust into people's houses. We'd go to apartment complexes and walk down the, the place looking for things uh, that are specific. I, I could tell you where to bust a car window where it was just a tap. It would smash. And we would take all this stuff out, and we'd go to pawn shops, and we'd pawn it off and get about two or $3,000. And then we'd divvy out the money. Here's a couple of grand for you. Here's a thousand for you. Here's a thousand for you. Here's a half a grand for you. Half a grand for you. And we'd go to the bar. Oh, man, we were making it rain. We were buying drinks for everybody. Everybody wanted to be around us. Everybody wanted to be around us. We were the life of the party. And you know what the goal was? Find the prettiest girl in that bar. Find the prettiest girl in that bar and get, I don't know, five, six, maybe if I'm lucky, eight or nine shots down her throat where she's so hammered she didn't even know her, her name and take her somewhere and sleep with her and kick her to the curb. I didn't care about her. I didn't care about her virtue or her integrity. I didn't care that I was most likely sleeping with someone's future wife. I didn't care that I was taking something from her that she could never get back. You want to know why? Because it was all about myself. It was all about pleasing myself. One night we went to a party. It was, five, it was, five, it was Sodom and Gomorrah in 5,000 square feet. They're having sex in every room of the house. Beautiful women coming up, propositioning me and my friends. You want her? You want me? You want both of us? Let's all three go upstairs right now. We'll fulfill any fantasy you've ever had. And we're drinking and smoking weed and acting like fools. And we're drinking and drinking and drinking. I'm not talking about a couple of beers. I'm talking about we're drinking. You're like, ah, pastor, my goodness. You don't have to get so specific. You know what I think? I will. You want to know why? Because I'm tired of the devil coming to steal and kill and destroy. I'm sick and tired of any one of us being able to get in our cars right now. We could go into any city in this country. And you know what you'd see? You'd see the billboards, and you'd see the bookstores, and you'd see the gentlemen's clubs. Newsflash, there's no gentlemen in there. And, and, uh, and they have the neon, and the pink, and the green, and the pornography. Oh, it's so gorgeous. There she is. There she is up on the billboard. She's beautiful, and she's photoshopped, and she's airbrushed, and she's spilling out of her dress, and it's so sensual and seductive. And she got a bottle of Grey Goose vodka. Oh, look, it's a wonderful life. They don't show you the alcohol with his head hung over the toilet and he's throwing up his guts and you know what he's lost his job and he's lost his marriage and he can't see his kids and he can't hold down a job you want to know why because he's a drunk that's reality I'm tired of these shows that we watch on television some of you probably have them on your DVRs you should be ashamed of yourselves pastor I watch Christians get on social media and say can't wait for Game of Thrones can't wait for Empire can't wait for Scandal Christians proclaiming Jesus Christ watching filth and they're jumping in and out of bed with one another there's never any consequences to pay they don't show you the syphilis or the chlamydia or the genital warts or the herpes or the AIDS or the gonorrhea or the unwanted pregnancy. Why? Because the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. I remember I Love Lucy. Remember that? I Love Lucy, black and white. I, Ricky and Lucy were married on the television show. Wouldn't show them in the same bed. The television, Lucille Ball got pregnant in real life. You can Google it. It's a fact. The television network wouldn't show her pregnant belly on television because that was a little bit too risque. Please. You can be 16 now and drop your pants and get your own TV show on MTV. They call it Teen Mom. That's the, that's the world we live in now. So it wasn't a couple of beers. It was ever clear. 
It was Southern Comfort. It was Tiger Rose. It was Mad Dog. I mean, it was Thunderbird. I'm talking about 180, 190 proof stuff that'll kill you. And we're drinking and drinking and drinking and laughing and smoking weed and acting like idiots. And before I knew it, I had over three and a half times the legal limit of alcohol in my bloodstream. I could have killed myself. And I got profusely ill, and the room began to spin, and I began to violently throw up. I'm throwing up all over the dance floor. I'm throwing up all over my clothes and my friends. You know, my friends. These are my boys, these are my peeps. We go get money together. We go get girls together. These are my boys. They've got my back. They're laughing at me, pointing their fingers at me. They're all pushing each other over, and I'm, I'm the butt of all the jokes, and immediately I become the entertainment for the party. And I could feel it coming from here, Pastor. I could feel it coming over on the left side of my brain. I was going to black out, and I got so much vomit lodged in my throat that I couldn't breathe. And I was trying to find a wall, staggering around, and it's spinning faster and faster. And I'm choking and choking. And all of a sudden, my eyes spun up in the back of my head, and boom, I passed out, laying in a puddle of my own puke. Three o'clock. And I woke up at 5 a.m., there were no more beautiful women propositioning me for sex. And there was no more loud music. And there was no more laughing. And there was no more dancing. You see, the party was over. And I lie there in a puddle of filth. And if there were ever a point in my life where I could have felt more worthless, if there were ever a point in my life where I could have felt more like a piece of trash, I can't think of another time. And I remember looking up to God. I didn't have a comedy night. Nobody told jokes. I didn't have warm music in the background. I didn't have a comfortable seat like you. I didn't have an air-conditioned auditorium. I lie there covered in the vomit of my sin. And I looked up to God and I said, God, there has got to be more to my life than this. I said, I have, I have been a phony. I've been a fake. I've been a fraud. I've been a hypocrite. I said, God, I have, I have deserted you, and I need you. I need you. And I remember clearly thinking, I know that the judgment that you bring has got to look at me right now, and your judgment has got to see me as so disgusting, but I am praying that your grace would see me as beautiful. And I said, God, if you'll take me back right now, I'll give you everything that I am. I said, God, if you take me back, I'll go back to Bible college. I will get my degrees. I will get ordained. I will fulfill the call you put on my life. I will spend the rest of my life doing everything that I can to bring others to you. And can I tell you folks, right there, right there, his presence came down. And he washed me and he cleansed me and he saved me and he gave me a brand new life. And I've never, I've never been the same since that day. Do I still have bad days? <laughs> Please. Do I still have actions and attitudes and thoughts that aren't real Jesus-like? I'll just hang around me for a couple hours. I'll be sure to disappoint you. But that day changed my life. And I promised the Lord that day I would spend the rest of my life preaching the truth. And I know some of you right now going, yeah, that's right, Brother Michael preaches the truth. You don't want the truth. You don't want the truth. Because the truth offends I've been doing this 30 years, 
traveling the globe. And I find, Pastor, the more truth I spit out, the angrier people get. But you know what? Jesus ticked off people everywhere he went. So if you don't like it, you can get out. I don't care. There's exits. One, two, three, four, five, six. That one's got a red light out. Yeah, this might be a fire code on that one. You can get out. You think I came all this way to win a popularity contest? Do you think I'm away from my beautiful bride tonight and yesterday and half of tomorrow because I came to be your pal? I came to preach you the truth. Because one day I will stand in front of the Father God and I want to be able to look him in the eyes and say, God, I told them the truth. I didn't hold anything back. So in closing tonight, let me ask you this. What if the sky cracked open right now? What if the sky cracked open right now and Jesus came cutting through the cloud in beams of light and all of a sudden simultaneously around the globe millions of people were caught up in the clouds Graves were ripping up out of the grounds, and he caught up his church, raptured us in the air. Would you go? I'm not asking you to answer. It's rhetorical. I'm just saying, are you sure? Because you'd better be sure. What if your left arm got numb right now? What if your left arm got numb right now? It traveled up into your chest, and you, you said, you're just trying to scare me. Please, we've been scared in church in years. I remember a day. I remember a day I was scared in church. I remember a day before church it got all cute and pastors bragged that they had a Starbucks in their lobby and they talked about their new book more than they did about Jesus. I remember a day that I was scared. I remember a day a preacher would get up and say, guys, probably going to lose some families over this. Probably not going to be able to grow our church as fast as I wanted to, but I wouldn't be your pastor if I didn't tell you that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And if you don't have a personal relationship with him, you will go to that place. And I know some of you right now going, well, Brother Michael, how could a loving Heavenly Father send any? But you send yourself. You send yourself to a place God never created for you. Don't hit me with that trash. It's by your own choices that you send yourself to a place God never created for you. So don't hit me with that junk. I'm talking to somebody that wants to live right in here tonight. So I'm asking you right now, what if your left arm got numb, it traveled up into your chest, and it exploded right here in your heart, and you looked at who you were with and said, Babe, something, oh, oh God, boom, and that was it. Honey, honey, something's wrong. Honey, oh, God. Oh, oh, boom. And you didn't have time to say your cute little prayer of repentance. You didn't have time to say your little 30 second, oh, God, I really didn't mean it. I, I, I mean, I, I really do want to live for you. I, I, please forget. What if you didn't have time? You know that Bible that you have? The one that you should read every day and you don't? Do you know what it says? It says, for the time has come for judgment to begin where? In the house of God. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in the last days, God says, I'm going to start dishing out some judgment. And I'm not going to go to bars. I'm not going to go to strip clubs. I'm going to start in my house. And the Bible says, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the sinner and the ungodly appear? Can I translate? If the Christian is barely getting by, by the skin of their teeth, where's the Bible going to show up?
The Bible says wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it, and narrow is the way that leads to righteousness, and not many find it, but few. Can I share with you the most terrifying scripture in your Bible? It's terrifying. It's ter- There's not a horror movie that this Hollywood could ever come up with that's scarier than this verse. The Bible says many will say on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out devils? We did it in your name. Lord, didn't we do many wonderful things in your name? Don't let that scripture make you feel cute because that's obviously church folks. Go to bars. They're not prophesying. Go to strip clubs. They're not casting out devils. Go anywhere in this city where sin abounds. And they're not doing wonderful deeds in the name of the Lord. So obviously those were people the Scripture's referring to that thought that they were all right with God. And the Bible says that the Father will say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Get out! Get out! Not a few will say that on that day. The Bible says many. Well, thanks for coming out, Pastor. I appreciate it. It's been an awesome time. Thank you for bringing your ministry all this way to hang out with us here. But, you know, I'm just not really, you know, not really prepared to make a decision like right at this moment. No, we're going to make a decision right now. No, seriously, you know what I mean? You give me a lot of things to think about. And tell you what, man, when I get home tonight, I'm going to take out a magnifying glass and I'm really going to look at the condition of my heart and... And I'm going to have a little talk with the Lord. You didn't hear what I said. We're going to make a decision right now. Well, you, I mean, you can't make me do anything. I don't want. You didn't hear what I said. We're going to make a decision right, right now. Want to know why I'm about to give an altar call? Pastor, I believe some will come. I really do. But you know what? Some of you won't. I could sit here tonight and I could beg some of you to get your place in your heart right with God. I, I, could, I could take another hour. I could, I could tear my clothes, get down on my knees and rub ashes on my head and beg some of you. And some of you will, but some of you you just won't do it. You'll sit there with your stupid pride and ego and you'll, and you'll wait till this service is over and you'll leave. And here it is, here it is. Please hear me if you're here right now and you are not where you need to be with the Lord and I give this altar call and you don't respond and you wait till this service is over and then you turn around and you leave, guess what? You made your decision. So you're going to make a decision tonight whether you like it or not. just depends on if it's going to be the right one or not. Pastor Michael, do, I mean, do I got to come down? Do I, do I re- yeah, you got to come down. You want to know why? Because if you can't stand up for the Lord in a church, you'll never stand up for Him outside these four walls. Could I love you tonight? Could I just love you tonight to be honest with you? If you can't walk 20 feet and get your life right in front of Christians, in front of people that love Jesus, Don't even lie to yourself to think that you could walk out of here tonight and serve him in a world that hates him. If you can't do it here, you probably won't do it there. And by the way, I'd like to throw in one more scripture for free. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. He said, but if you acknowledge me before men, 
I'll acknowledge you before my Father. Can I tell you who the most difficult person is to get down to an altar? It's not unbelievers. They come running. It's not even children. They're so honest and open. Let me tell you the most difficult, stubborn, obstinate person to get down to an altar. It's usually someone that's lukewarm because of their stupid pride and ego. Pastor, you, you blew it. You blew it now. You just told nobody to bow their heads. Because that's what we do, don't we? Well, can we just bow our heads and you can have us slip up our hands? No, you can't do that either. Because I'm sick and tired of those stupid altar calls too. I gave them my whole life. Would you like to know how they go? I got this on lockdown. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one talking, no one looking around. We're going to sneak a couple people down to the altar. Not tonight. He took 39 lashes and you can't walk 20 feet? He spilled his blood out all over the ground and you, and you can't put aside your pride for 30 seconds? He crucified himself on a cross so that in a moment you could wipe the slate clean and you want me to have everybody bow their heads? No! No heads bowed and no eyes closed and everyone looking around. I wonder who'd stand up for him then. Pastor, I find out my altar calls are a lot smaller this way, but I find out they're way more genuine. But some of you are thinking, you just blew it. You told nobody bow their heads, nobody closed their eyes. You're going to give this altar call in a second and no one's going to come and you're going to feel like a fool. When I started ministry 30 years ago, pastor and I gave altar calls. If a lot of people came forward, I felt like I did really good. And if nobody came forward, I felt like I bombed. I have been so delivered from that. Because my granddad, who knew every little country southern saying, known to man, told me when I was a little boy, he said, well, son, you can lead a horse to water, but you... Yeah. So let me tell you how this is going to go down. I'm going to pray in a second with some very brave people, maybe that need Jesus or maybe need to come back to the Lord. And then I'm going to go out in the lobby and I'm going to hug some necks. And I'm going to pack up my stuff. Maybe we'll grab a bite to eat. And I'll go back to my hotel. Thank you. The bed's very soft. And I'll FaceTime my wife because she will never and has never went to bed without hearing about how the service was. And I'll FaceTime her and she'll say, babe, how was it? And I'll say, it was awesome. There was just as many people on Sunday morning on a Sunday night. And she won't ask how many songs we sang. She won't ask what I preached. She'll say, did anybody get their life right? And I'll say, babe, it was awesome. And I'll go to bed with a smile on my face. Want to know why? Because I'll know I said everything I was supposed to say. I didn't hold anything back. One thirty-second prayer and God forgives and forgets. One thirty-second prayer and the angels write your name in the Lamb's book of life. In a 30-second prayer, someone in this building could walk out tonight saying, it is well with my soul in 30 seconds. 
And so if you're here right now, I'm not going to snap my fingers. I'm not going to clap my hands. I'm not going to say, well, uh, turn to your neighbor and say, if you need to go, I'll go with you. Let me tell you something. If I needed to get right with God, wild horses couldn't stop me from getting right with God, and I certainly don't need someone to hold my hand. But if you're here right now and you say, Pastor, please don't end this service without praying with me, I will give you 20 seconds to come and stand at this altar right now. 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, Six, five, four, three, two, one. And there's a little voice in someone's head right now just going, just wait a couple more seconds, it'll all be over. Just wait a couple more seconds, it'll all be over. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Look at me, look at me. Don't look down. Everybody look at me. People have a tendency to look down. My Bible says there is now therefore what? No condemnation. You don't have to feel bad about anything. But I don't feel a release. And I feel like someone needs to know that I had the audacity to lead worship in my father's church with a hangover. Can you imagine? Pastor, I drank so much the night before. I was hoping to God that somebody didn't have, I didn't get somebody pregnant. I didn't have an STD. And I had the audacity, God bless you, to, to get up and lead worship in my father's church. And her name is Cindy Lloyd. She's a pastor now. She came up to me after the service and said, Michael, could I talk to you? And I said, yeah. And there was... My, my brain was like just splitting out of my skull from the hangover. She took me by the hand and she said, we're so proud of you. We know there's a lot of people in church running around going after the things of the world, but we're just so thankful that there's young men and women of God like you that are setting an example and blazing a trail. Do you know what a phony I felt like? <laughs> Do you know what a fake I felt like? And I believe that there's some folks in here tonight and maybe you're just so sick and tired of pretending to be something that you're not. And I could. I could make it easy. But serving and standing up for Him in 2019 is not always easy. I could. I could turn the lights down and I could bring the whole worship team up and we could have them sing some big anthem and I could pace back and forth saying, I feel it. I feel it. Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. And Pastor, we probably could. We could give a big grandiose no. And some of you right now, I think there's just a little voice in your head going, sweat a couple more seconds, just a couple more seconds. And you're just pushing it down. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'll wait 10 more seconds. I'm not going to beg. But if you say, Pastor, please include me with these. I I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I'll give you 10 seconds to join us. Nine, eight, God bless you. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. We're going to pray a prayer together. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? It's a sinner's prayer. Some of you may be praying it for the first time. Some of you are rededicating your life. I say praise God to either one. How many of you know, I don't know why we don't get excited about rededications. How many of you know it's just one more soul that the devil can't have? Come on, somebody. One more soul the devil can't have.
Pastor, I didn't come down. Can I pray this prayer? Of course you can. Will God hear me? Of course he will. I'm just saying if you didn't have the courage to do it here, there has to come a point in your life where you can say he died for me. I will stand up in front of him because trust me, it's a lot harder to stand up for him outside these doors than it is right here. Let's pray this prayer together. Every one of you in this room, don't mumble it, say it loud and proud. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, I love you so much. And Father, I thank you for sending your Son to take my place. Jesus, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes, but I come before you now asking that you would cleanse me, wash me, purify my heart and my life, consume me with your presence. Because I know that sin is crouching at my door and it desires to have me but I'm going to master it. Now you say this, say devil I take authority over everything in my life that has had authority over me. Enough is enough. It stops tonight. You lose and I win. Father thank you for hearing my prayers, for placing my name in the book, for saving me. My life is yours in Jesus name. 